This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. This morning we want to go to the, the little book of Titus, New Testament. First, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, <laughs> Hebrews, you'll find it there. just want to read a couple of verses together towards the end of chapter 3 of Titus. Paul writing to Pastor Titus said, When I send Artemis to you and Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. Be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Everyone, without exception, has a wintertime experience in life. It's inevitable. It happens. It may come through bereavement. And over this past year or so, we have a number of people in here who has been bereaved. It's a difficult time. It may come through sickness. We've been talking about that this morning also. It could be a time of financial reversal, a period of adverse circumstances, or any number of ways that suddenly you can find yourself in a wintertime experience. But the important thing is not when you winter, because that's inevitable. It's how you winter. That's optional. We have a choice in that. In the authorized version of the text we just read, Paul said, I have determined to winter in Nicopolis. Nicopolis means city of victory. That's where Nike, the sports brand, get their name from. Nike means victory. I have determined to winter in victory. It's optional. You can choose. You can make a choice how you're going to winter. Title of the message this morning is Where Will You Spend Winter? Paul says, I'm going to winter in victory. Be determined to winter in victory. Joseph was determined to winter in victory even in the prison. And through a series of seeming reversals of fortune, he went from being his father's favorite son to being a slave in Egypt. And while he was there, he was lied about by his boss's wife. His character was castigated. His reputation was ruined. He ended up thrown into prison. But while he was there, in that wintertime experience, he determined he would winter in victory. And he turned that prison into an acopolis, a place of victory. Many a man's dreams die in prison, not Joseph's. 
Not John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a tinker, a mender of pots and pans, that is, in Bedford in the 1600s. People in that age could not afford many pots and pans. They certainly couldn't replace them easily. So his job was to go around doors and call out and people would bring their pots and pans and he would mend them. That was how he made his living. But he was a believer and he was a preacher. And everywhere he went he preached, whether that would be on the street or hire a hall or in somebody's home. The trouble was the king had made a decree that you could not preach publicly unless you were licensed by the established church. And he wasn't. Did that stop John Bunyan? Not in your life. He preached and he preached until he was arrested and he was thrown into jail. And in that prison in Bedford, in that wintertime experience, God the Holy Spirit came to him and gave him the idea of writing the Pilgrim's Progress. That after 400 years, is still being read to this day. It is the probably without any shadow of doubt, the best allegorical Christian story that has ever been written in history, certainly in the English language. And so he turned his prison into a place of victory. And we know that Joseph did the same because he interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler. And after a couple of years, when he did that, we find that Pharaoh heard about him, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. And from that prison, he rose up to be in the palace, to be right there at the very top, just next under Pharaoh, the prime minister, if you will, of all of Egypt. Not bad for a slave boy, eh? I have determined to winter in victory. Daniel was determined to winter in victory, even in the lion's den. His enemies, who were very jealous of this Jewish slave, who had risen to the upper echelons of the King Darius's government, if you please, and his enemies, who were jealous, they looked for an occasion against Daniel. And they looked for an occasion against his character, but they couldn't find it. They looked for an occasion against his conduct, but they couldn't find it. They looked for an occasion against his convictions, but he could not, they could not find it. Why? Because Daniel 6, 3 says he was of an excellent spirit. He was a man who loved God. He was a man who was greatly blessed and used by God. They could not find it fault with his work, so they decided to try to find fault with his worship. And it was in his worship, even though they couldn't find fault, but that became the battleground. Because they went to the king, and they calmed the king, who loved Daniel. And they made the king make a decree that if anyone would ask any petition of any god or any man save the king, he'd be thrown into a den of lions. And when Daniel knew that that decree was signed, he had a choice. Here's his wintertime experience. And he chose to open his window towards Jerusalem 
and pray three times a day as he did a four time. It says, he did not change one iota. And what happened, you know the story, how they threw him into that den of hungry lions and how the king couldn't sleep that night. The king tried desperately to change his ruling, but he couldn't because the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be changed. But he says, Daniel, the God that you serve, he'll be able to save you. But he couldn't sleep that night. And he couldn't wait to go early that morning to see what had happened. And what happened? Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. (laughs) I'm right. I'm okay. I'm all right. God has shut the mouths of the lions. And the king was so thrilled and delighted, he brought him out. And those accusers and their families, he threw them in instead. And the lions gobbled them up. He decided, he determined that he would winter in victory. You know, sometimes stuff happens to us in life, not because we've done something bad, but because we've done everything good. Not because we've done something wrong, but because we've done everything right. Daniel had done everything right. Joseph had done everything right. But they ended up with a wintertime experience. Sometimes when we go through stuff as believers, we're wondering, how did this happen? Did I do something to cause this? But very often... It's not because you've done something wrong. You're doing everything right. But sometimes it's just life happens. And you have to realize I've got a choice now. This has happened. What do I do? How do I handle this? Am I going to be in defeat or am I going to be in victory? They decided and determined to live in victory. And so he turned that den of death into a den of victory. King David was in Ziglag. He's on the run from Saul, who's threatened to kill him, who has attempted to kill him. He's in exile in the land of his enemies, the Philistines. He's in a place called Ziglag. To cut a long story short, he's moved out of that area for a few days with his small army. And after a few days, he has to come back again. But when he comes back, he discovers that the Amalekites, the raiding bands of Amalekites, has come in and they've stolen away his wives, his sons, his daughters, his goods, everything. And not only that, they've stolen away the wives and the sons and daughters and goods of his army. And they're livid. They're angry. And they want to stone him. They want to kill him. Talk about wintertime experience. Bad enough he's in exile. Bad enough Saul wants to kill him. But now his own man wants to kill him also. But David was determined to winter in victory. So the Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 that he went and he sought the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And he said, Lord, shall I pursue after this trip? 
And the Lord said, Pursue, for you shall surely recover all. And so with that encouragement, he went out and he pursued his enemies. And without fail, he recovered all. He was in a difficult place, in a dark place, in a place of winter time. But he decided he would live in victory nonetheless. And you and I will have these experiences in our lives. You and I will face difficulties and situations that we did not anticipate, that we did not even think would ever happen, but they happen. And it's what we do when it happens that's going to determine the outcome of our lives. The Apostle John, he's an old man now. He's the last remaining of the original <coughs> apostles. All of them are dead and gone, including the Apostle Paul. They're all gone. He's the only one left. He's in his 80s. He's the senior man of the church. He's in Ephesus. And then he's taken from there and he's shipped out to a penal colony in the Aegean Sea, the island of Patmos. And when he's there, that's his wintertime experience. He's cut off from his church. He's cut off from his friends. He's cut off from everyone he knows. He's cut off from his daily routine, which would be to encourage the believers in Ephesus as the senior man of God. He's cut off from ministry. He's cut off from everything he's been doing for years. Suddenly, he's cut off from that, and he's out there in this old island, this penal colony, and he's stuck there, and he can look over the sea, and he can see actually where he came from. He can see where Ephesus is. It's a wintertime experience. But John determined to winter in victory. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> no matter what he was facing, no matter what life had thrown at him or the devil had thrown at him, he was determined that he was going to seek the Lord. And on the Lord's day, suddenly he was in the Spirit. Spirit of God came upon him and opened his eyes and he had fantastic revelation of Jesus Christ that no other apostle ever had. And what a revelation of Jesus it is. All 22 chapters of it in the back of your Bible. And so he seemed to be in this, if I could use the phrase this, God-forsaken Island, but God hadn't forsaken that island and he hadn't forsaken his servant. And so he wintered in victory. And what an incredible, awesome, amazing revelation that would enlighten and inspire and challenge and excite the church for 2,000 years. Didn't know that was going to happen, sure he didn't. Whenever he landed on that island and he looked around and there was no one there that he knew, wonder did the thought cross his mind, I'm an old man now, I've served the Lord all these years and he's kept me alive and all the others are gone and he's kept me alive for what? For this. Hmm. 
But then he determined he would still seek the Lord. And come the Lord's day, he was in the Spirit. Then he discovered why he was on the Isle of Patmos. Because his greatest work was about to unfold. His greatest legacy to the church was about to unfold. Jesus was determined to winter even in the wilderness. The place of temptation would become the place of victory. Forty days of fasting. Forty days of seeking the Father's face. Forty days of wandering in the howling Judean wilderness with only the wild beasts for company. And at the end of that 40 days, when he's hungry, when his appetite returned, that's when the enemy came with his three biggest temptations. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. Look at you. You've lost weight. You haven't eaten anything in 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. You don't have to trust the Father to supply anything. You've got the power. Now I know the, our King James Version says, if you are the Son of God, but actually in the reason that since you are the Son of God, he knew who he was. Since you are the Son of God, you've got the power yourself. Use it on yourself, for yourself. But Jesus didn't come to use his power on himself and for himself. He came to use it to hurting humanity. Turn these stones into bread, he says. Go ahead. You've waited long enough. Sure you're hungry. Doesn't matter what the Father's will is. Just you go ahead and do it. But Jesus wouldn't do it. Sure he wouldn't. He told him that he wanted to do everything that preceded from the mouth of the Father. That was his bread. That was his life. Obeying the Father. Took him up into a high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All these can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. All those kingdoms actually were his because the earth is his footstool. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But we know what happened in the Garden of Eden. And we know how God had given Adam dominion over all. But he lost that dominion, that rulership. He submitted himself to the evil one and lost that. And Jesus came as the second Adam, as the last Adam, to take that dominion back. And we know that Christ will rule the whole world, that the nations of the world will come and pay homage to the King of kings and Lord of all lords. But at that moment, not yet. He would go to the cross first. And Jesus answered him, you shall worship 
the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan wanted worship. Do you know there's loads of cults, there's loads of false religion, and in their own way, they direct worship away from God to him. What a thing it would have been for Satan if Jesus had worshipped him. But he was never going to do that. No temptation would ever cause Christ to worship the evil one. Then he takes him up into the pinnacle of the temple. Cast yourself down. Sure he's given his angels charge over you. He starts to quote scripture. You know the devil can quote scripture. But he'd either quote it wrong or he'll leave a bit out. But he'll always twist it. Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Throw yourself off the temple. Come on, you've got the power. Since you are the Son of God, sure you can do it. Sure all the angels will be there to save you. But Jesus wasn't into circus tricks. Sure he wasn't. He wasn't into doing tricks for the devil or anybody else. He would only use that power in the will of the Father for the good of humanity. And so he wouldn't do it. Sure he wouldn't. He overcame that temptation. And he quoted the word of God back to him, didn't he? And so here's this period there's a trial that's difficult where he's facing head on the evil one face to face can't get any sore temptations temptations to affect the body to affect the soul to affect the very spirit and he overcame all of them because he's determined to be in victory Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke 22, he's there. He tells his disciples, you have to read the other Gospels to see. He tells the disciples, he says, you stay here. And he went a little further. A stone's throw. He got on his knees and he started to pray. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was facing. He knew Judas was about to betray him. They were on their way, in fact. And he knew all of that. He knew what was going to happen. The false trial, the lies, the desertion, even of his faithful disciples. The scourging, the nailing, the crucifixion. He knew all of that was going to happen. And he's praying. And the disciples, he said, watch with me. And what did they do? They fell asleep. In fact, if you read all the, the three Gospels, if you read the three Gospels, you'll see that this happened three times. Three times. And he kept coming back to them, and they were still sleeping. In fact, he had to tell them, wake up. The betrayer is on his way. And as they were speaking, here comes Judas and the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And the Bible says that as he was praying, such was the intensity and the pressure that he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. 
Do you ever pray for five minutes and fall asleep? Huh? No, that wouldn't happen. You're too holy for that to happen to, aren't you? Do you ever pray for five minutes? You say, I'm really going to pray about this difficult, this problem, whatever it is. And you start to pray, and after five minutes, your mind's wandering all over the place. We're no better than the disciples. Sure we're not. We find it difficult to watch one hour, don't we? But here he is, sweating as it were great drops of blood. Such was the pressure and the intensity of this moment of this time. But Jesus would turn into a time of victory. A time of victory. He would overcome. And he broke through, didn't he, when he said, Not my will, but thine be done. There was a battle, an intense battle. And he said, Father, I know what I'm facing. I know the pressure. All hell is let loose against me. But not my will, but yours be done. Whatever the cost, I'll pay it. What victory in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Paul writes in Titus 3, I've determined to winter in Nicopolis. Bring Zenos the lawyer with you. I like that. The lawyer. The advocate. Let's make this represent the Holy Spirit. The advocate. In John 14, 15, In 16, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, the parakletos, the one called alongside to help. In 1 John 2, 1, Jesus in heaven is called the parakletos. Same things used, the one called alongside to help, the advocate. So we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate on earth, the Holy Spirit. The advocate, the lawyer, is the one who goes to court and defends you on your behalf, stands beside you and fights your case. And so whenever we have the Holy Spirit in us, defending, fighting our case, giving us strength and counsel and wisdom, then we could winter in victory, can't we? How many times have you felt yourself in a difficult, tight situation? You didn't know what to do. And you said, Lord, help me. And then the Holy Spirit went to work. And he gave you a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of guidance, a little bit of peace, a little bit of courage, whatever it was you needed. The Holy Spirit ministered and began to work in your life. Then he says, bring Zenos the lawyer with you. And Apollos. Acts 18, 24 says, Apollos was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Let's make him represent the word. Mighty in the scriptures. When you have the word and you have the Holy Spirit, then you can winter in victory. You cannot be defeated 
If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have the Word of God in you, you have those two great powerful weapons to fight your enemy and to fight the circumstances of life. When you are led by the Holy Spirit and you're guided by the Word of God, then you can come through whatever it is you are facing. God has not left us with, without weapons. He's not left us without any defense. He's given us His Word and He's given us His Holy Spirit. So no matter what situation we face, we've got the Word of God and we've got the Holy Spirit. How can we lose? Amen. Come on, how can we lose when you've got the Word and you've got the Holy Spirit? But you've got to overcome your feelings. You've got to overcome how you're thinking sometimes. And say, God, but you give me the Word, you give me the Holy Spirit. I can come through this because you've given me the weapons to do it with. And you can winter in victory in Christ. Amen. I have determined to winter in Nicopolis. Bring Zenos the lawyer with you and Apollos. So where are you today? What is your winter experience right now? Maybe for you it's sickness. Maybe for you it's a relationship has gone sour. Maybe for you it's financial reversals. Maybe for you it's adverse circumstances. But no matter what winter experience you're going through, you have the Word and you have the Holy Spirit. And those two will bring you through into victory every time. We cannot lose because we've got the Spirit and we've got the Word. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in those temptations that you faced in the wilderness, you used the word, the sword of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that that's in the word of God for us to read and see. Because you've given us the word, the sword of the Spirit, to face our circumstances. So we give you thanks today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. The one who comes alongside to help us. He does not leave us defenseless. But gives us power and strength. We bless you for this Lord. Thank you for the might of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power of your word. So Lord, whatever we're facing today, we're going to win. We're going to succeed. We're going to come through in the name of Jesus. We're not going to be defeated. Thank you, Lord, for this. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at 
youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecost. <laughs>